Father, we come before you because this is your word. And for each one in here who knows you personally, we have a, a lot of work to do. It's a privilege to walk with you. It's a privilege to become more and more like Jesus Christ. It's a privilege to read your word and to cry out to you to testify of what you've done in our lives. So again, as we've said before, and we'll say always, may this day only be a, another step in growth, another time of encouragement from an old man who's trying to make it as clear as possible. May you take it from there and embed it in our hearts and our lives and make us more like your son. We just thank you for all that you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in the Sermon on the Mount, which is found in what book of the New Testament? Matthew and Luke. Luke is a very shortened version of it. It leaves out a lot. I'm not sure why he did a mini Sermon on the Mount, but uh, that's what Luke decided to put in there as the Holy Spirit led him. But in, in Matthew...
This is what he's trying to get at. This is what they would have picked up on had they recognized what it meant to be blessed in this sense of sharing the gospel. So the word blessed is happy, privileged, prosperous. You are enriched by God, fulfilled, very satisfied. You are blessed in every way, shape, and form by Jesus Christ. And so he's humbled. God is pleased with us. So how can I go on and say I'm not pure in heart? This is the area of justification. It's what God has done for us. This one is often pushed to the side for
resisting Jesus. And, and um, didn't want him to wash his feet. Remember in John 13. And he finally says, well, why don't wash your feet? He goes, you're not going to part with me. And then he flips it around and goes, let me wash all of me. Give me a bath. <laughs> Peter was always going, vroom, 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 vroom. And he settled down all the time. And Jesus answered, I don't need to wash all of you. And he's implying there that Peter was a believer at that point, And he just needed to cleanse the daily sins that were getting into his life. As a young believer, you're going to do a lot of things as you grow up. You realize, that wasn't good. I shouldn't have done that. It may be gossip, which we don't think is a sin anymore. At least that's how we act. As soon as my little mouth comes out with somebody else's name, how should I respond? I went too far. I don't have the right to talk about somebody else. And if I were to ask for a show of hands right now, how many of us do that at times? Everybody's hands would go up. I'm not leaving anybody out of this picture. All of us. Gossip. And yet we look at that and we go, okay, you got to clean that up. You need to confess that. You need to get it right with God. You need to move on. It, it's in the way. But what he's focused on here is this pure in heart, is an undisturbed conscience. You purify your own soul. You have this love from the heart. Look at 1 Peter 1. This people, they don't understand a lot of this, and I know it's confusing, and this is where I'll quit leaving you, so you can take your nap. If, if you got the basic message, God does not want you living with a guilty conscience. Ever. As soon as there's guilt, what do you do with it? Confess it. You make it right with God, you make it right with man, whatever it may be. That's how he expects it. 1 Peter 1.22, since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, cleansed your souls. Who did the cleansing? Not God. The writers, or the readers, that Peter is writing to, those, those four friends scattered abroad. I got the wrong one. Anyway, the, the readers he's writing to, they have cleansed their hearts. They have dealt with issues. Some of them may be things that you have dealt with for decades, and you can't get away from it. You can't let it go. And Jesus is sitting there almost like, if I could, if I could draw, I can't draw. You, how many of you know I can't draw? Okay. I mean, you witnessed my non-drawing. But, but if I were to draw, I would draw a picture of a believer in Jesus having a tug of war. Let me have it. No, no, it's mine. I failed. I'm the worst sinner around. Paul said those kind of things, but he didn't live them. Least of the apostles was realistic. Follow the humble man. But I'm hanging on to those things that Jesus says, give it to me. Confess it. Let it go. Move away from the depression and the struggles and things you're having. And no, I'm not talking to an individual out here today. I get accused of that all the time. I don't know your sin life. Very often. But if I find out, I'll gossip. something that you have done. You've internally cleansed yourself in Christ. All of your sins are forgiven. You stop having this uh, what, um, pity party is the word I was trying to think of today. I almost left something out. Too many Christians are living in this spiritual pity party. Oh, woe is me. Oh, most, most Christians have never done what I've done. The quietness tells me that this is maybe more common than we even thought. All of us do this. It's unhealthy. 
You can't change the past. There is no spiritual eraser to take away the sins that you have committed. Many of you are dealing with this as well. I'm not saying it's a common thing, but I'm saying it's, it's far too common. Too many professed believers are living with horrible guilt. They're paralyzed, they're depressed, they're distracted from what they're supposed to be doing. They make excuses off of it. Oh, I, I couldn't do that because I'm not worthy. You're right, you're not worthy, but it has nothing to do with what you can do for the Lord. None of us are worthy of this. I didn't earn anything from Jesus. It was a gift. That's what grace is. And mercy that we talked about a little earlier, what's that one? Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. And that's what God has shown to us. All, otherwise, every single one of us would be in hell right now. But he showed mercy. We've got to stop categorizing people. We've got to stop looking up our noses and saying, oh, they did that. I've never done that. I look in the mirror and God has to remind me, well, what have you done? I wasn't so bad. Oh, then we've got to back all the way up to being spiritually destitute. Because you never even acknowledged that. Am I making sense? Some of you are sleeping, but it's okay. The rest of you, is, is this making sense? This is what he's getting at. He's trying to set them free. Too many of them, the reason they were held in bondage to the Pharisees, to the legalistic system, to the ceremonies, to all the traditions that the Jews had, they kept thinking, well, I've got to earn my way. And you see it today at many of the shrines around the world. Well, they'll walk for great distances on their, they'll crawl on their knees to get to something because they're trying to earn penance or they'll beat themselves bloody on their backs. That's, those are people saying, Jesus didn't do enough for me. And they aren't set free. But when I find a Christian living like that, it's a whole different world. These people that are pure in heart are cleansed, purged, spotless, clean on the inside. Theological dictionary of the New Testament that I know all of you read on a regular occasion. Worse than reading the dictionary. But this is a New Testament exhaustive use of words. You can look up a word. It describes this word as pure, as the inner unity of a conscience which is no longer disturbed by a sense of guilt. That's pretty straightforward. If you're struggling with guilt, do something about it. It might be the Holy Spirit here deals with guilt. He convicts, and that's a better word for what the Holy Spirit does. There's no use in guilt. That's very self-centered, and it just draws us down. But the description here is the inner unity of a conscience which is no longer disturbed by a sense of guilt. And I thought that was a really good way of describing it. This individual is unhypocritical, uncontaminated, and not pacified by human effort. Not thinking, well, I can do enough to make God happy. You can't. 1 Corinthians 6. When you go back and look at that, I didn't even look at what time I started, so I could be in trouble. As long as it was after 11, I'm okay. Nobody thinks I'm some guy. I know y'all looked at your watch. Was it after 11? Come on, no guilt. Come back. None of you? Thank you very much. None of you looked at your watches. You're supposed to time how long the pastor goes on and on and on. So 1 Corinthians 6, this is a neat presentation in a very sad church in a lot of ways. It was. Paul didn't give up on them. He wrote at least two letters. The second letter is, you're starting to see some healthy signs. But we're told in scriptures there's at least two more letters that Paul wrote that God did not include in the New Testament. They may not even have been inspired. But he communicated.
Corinthians 6, 9, verse 9, he says, Do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, now he starts down the list, guilt, 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 neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, Corinthians, those sins were in your church, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. He did it all. It is finished. We have to stop going back and wallowing in our sorrow of our past. I don't care what your past was. I can find somebody worse. And over many years, decades of ministry, I have a long list. And if I feel like gossiping, come talk to me and I'll share it. <laughs> Just kidding, you didn't laugh at that one. It's not what I'm after, and I don't share. My wife doesn't even know what goes on. It's years later in a general forum that I'll bring up things. And sometimes even with permission from people. But the Corinthians had been changed. They weren't living like that anymore, and they were as bad as you can think of. They were at the bottom of the barrel. So internally, this pure soul is a guiltless conscience. They recognize and they believe God that they have really been forgiven. It's over. It's all done. I can rest in him. Now what I'm doing in the future, what I'm doing right in the moment, what you're thinking of because my sermon is still going, you have to deal with that. That's your problem. Testament in alphabetical order. First and second Thessalonians, first and second Timothy, and then Titus. But we're right in the middle in first Timothy. If you find one T, you can find your way around. And we are looking at the chapter one, verse five. And he tells him as he starts off this letter to young Timothy, he says, But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience. And a sincere faith. He mentions it again over in verse 19, 18, 19. He says, This command I have pressed to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered over to Satan. They may be taught not to blaspheme. Blaspheme is not a super holy word. It just means to speak against. Two Greek words put together, I don't know why it always gets translated blasphemy. We don't think of it that way here. When you hear the word blasphemy, you think, oh, that's a, that's a horrible, eternal sin that you do against the Holy Spirit. Now, they don't always show you that it's not always translated blasphemy. You may speak against your brother and be using exactly the same word. But the issue here is he's trying to deal with, is trying to help them
and it says uh, the mouth is the billboard of the heart. I remember sticking that up on my desk. Man, does my mouth reveal a lot about my heart. Too often. But the mouth speaks from that which fills the heart. So what I let into my heart, what is really there, if it's not a pure heart, that's in big trouble. In Matthew 18, 35, you look up after him. We were told they were genuine coming out of the inside. It can't just be words because it's phony. If you're saying something that isn't real on the inside, you're not forgiving. If you're not forgiving, guess what you're going to take out against them the next time they connect up? sometimes understand. When I brought up our marriage and I talked about the period in our marriage, I wasn't bragging about it, which is how you would take it one way. I was telling you that when you do it the right way, we can testify that it's better than sin. Sin always corrodes, always takes down. You know how hard it was for us to stay pure? Her dad had to tie us up in straitjackets and only let us talk on the phone, even in straitjackets. You think we didn't struggle with that? You think when you when you're nearing your wedding day, speaking of, that, that you're you start letting that? Oh, this is the one I've been married, so this is okay for us to be intimate. Don't do it. What does God call it until you're married? Fornication. And what was it? Was on that list? Couple wits in there. Don't do it. It it corrodes. It's like opening your Christmas presents in November when you get to Christmas. Whatever I have done in the past as my sins, whatever 
this earthly mentality where we're kind of limited. It's the other way around. God's eternal. He's always been spirit. Never had a body until Christ took on human flesh. That's what's real. What we're dealing with is what's not real. And many of you would admit that as soon as you look in the mirror first thing in the morning. There's something wrong with this guy. And you look for a robe with a hood that covers his face. That's the issue he's trying to bring out here. Is we're going to see God. Look at 1 John 3. I brought these up and we'll close off with these two. 1 John chapter 3. You got this memorized? Great passage. Starts with verse 1. He says, see how great a love. And that's a command. He's telling you to look, to behold how great a love. The Father has bestowed upon us, writing to believers here, that we should be called children of God. And such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not appeared as yet what we shall be. We know that when he appears, we should be like him because we shall see him just as he is. This is what's coming. And then he goes on to clarify along with our passage today that everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself even as he is pure. The genuine believer is moving more and more and more towards Christ's likeness. More and more stuff's falling off that doesn't belong there. Bad habits as an immature young believer that we didn't know God didn't want us to gossip. I didn't know that was a sin. As soon as I find out, what do I do about it? Stop if I can't. I start memorizing scripture because it's treasure God's word in my heart that I might not sin against him. I have somebody who holds me accountable. I may even share with people to pray for me. I may bring it up even on Sunday morning in our prayer groups. I'm, I'm having a problem with God. I'm having a problem with lying. I need help. I need you to pray for me. And I need a few verses that you know. But you'll find this believer pressing toward Christ's likeness hungering and thirsting after righteousness, mourning over sin in their life, and submitting to God in their weakness. You see how these tie together? That's what a believer looks like. Is that what you've been looking for when you decide if someone's a believer or not? I don't think so. Too many of us give everybody the benefit of the doubt. Don't do that. Oh, I see somebody flowing down the river, and they're headed toward the, the waterfall, and only walks off two miles. <laughs> but I need to take it back. If, if I really know that, I think maybe the boat has waves, and when they hit the waterfall, they just fly out there to get this one. So maybe I guess that they're going to make it. So I won't warn them. There's a waterfall coming. There's a judgment coming. Jesus Christ is not going to overlook sin. If you haven't let him take yours, you get it all dumped on you and the penalty that goes along with that. How many people can fly? None. How many boats are going to float? Probably none. You might try to jet somebody. It won't work if you try to jet somebody. How many of us get to stand on the sideline and say, oh, I think they're okay and they're okay. Tell them, talk to them, bring up the truth, find out where they stand. And if they're wishy-washy, then start holding them to account. Ask them questions like, if you were to die today and stand before God, and he were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say to him? I've heard many different answers to that question. I'm pretty good. I think I'm going to make it. 
God's in love. God will not only forgive, he overlooks all of our stuff long definition of love. All kinds of excuses people give. The one you want to hear, what is it? I'm with him. So if you're standing at the judgment seat and Christ is standing next to you as your advocate, your defense attorney, and all you tell the judge is you give no excuses to the judge, you just say, I'm with him. He's the only way I'm going to get in. He's the one that's going to carry me across because he paid the price. I helped him. chapters in the book of Revelation? 22, all me. Last chapter of the last book, starting in at verse 1. He's, the context is the new Jerusalem. And so here's John being given these visions, visually watching and seeing these things. And the angel is talking to him, and he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal. Won't that be amazing? Flow away to who's in that place. But it's coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the middle of its street, on either side of the river, was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there was no longer any curse, and the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his bondservants shall serve him. And then look at verse 4. And they shall see his face. Why is that a big deal? Because you're not seeing him. You can't in these bodies. Just like Moses could. Saw his backside. And there's all kinds of debate even what that was about. But they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. Mark that as a child of God. I'm going to look at his face, this spirit being that has a robe on, that I cannot conjure up. Wow, how can he have a face? Don't worry, it'll, it'll make sense at the time. And our face and eyes and everything else will be greatly improved. But in the New Jerusalem, the water of life, the throne of God, the tree of life, the healing of the nations, no more curse. Can you pick up on that? That's when they're going to see his face. Those are exciting days, though, at Orkin. That's what keeps me going when I watch the world crumbling. When, when I have my eyes peeled and going through the book of Revelation on Wednesday nights, and when there is the Antichrist, some of the signs that are going to be taking place, where are we at? Because everybody asks me all the time, who's the Antichrist going to be? transgender world, I kind of go, okay. But, that's all I can come down to. Is he a Jew, Gentile? If I make a human guess, I think he's a Gentile. And I think the, the false prophet is a Jew. The false prophet is the one that carries out, see, you got me off on this side. The false prophet is the one that carries out all of the signs and wonders. He's the one that calls fire down. It's not the Antichrist. He's more of this regal leader who they need to make a statue of to sit on the throne in Jerusalem. Because he can't be in all places all the time. The guy actually sleeps once in a while. He's limited, so limited. But I'm going to see God. And I'm going to have a lot of things answered. My first question is, I'll tell you where in that river. But it will not be my river. And we'll be up there comparing notes. I knew it. I 
Too many of us aren't reading our Bibles. We aren't getting involved in public. We don't even want to listen to the news, even though I understand that. And we don't care about unbelievers. Let them perish. And I would say, wrong, 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 wrong. If you're pure in heart, if God has restored you with the right capacity, with a clear conscience, to reach out to others, then we're going to be screaming it from the housetops to uh, tell other people how big the mistake is. That's what I do when I'm merciful. That's what I do when I recognize I've been forgiven, and God says he will not forgive those who do not forgive others. Pure in heart. That's what Jesus told them. They're astonished. Spiritually bankrupt, astonished. What are you saying? I have to have some thought for God. And I'm not going to mourn over every last little sin. Some of those things I don't think are really sin. And they walk through this place and they're playing games, and then one day they get to Matthew 7. Lord, Lord, we cast out demons, we perform miracles, we prophesy in your name. Woo! You are. We've proven who we are. And he says, apart from me, I never knew you. I never had a gnosko interpersonal relationship with you. And the reason is because you practice lawlessness. That's what this whole service, it all goes together. You're going to see as we chop it up and take months to cover it, how many things go back to the service or Jesus Christ, you've been forgiven. 